0: This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theories.
1: On December 15th, 2017, Canadian billionaires Honey and Barry Sherman were found dead in their mansion. To this day, the case remains unsolved.
2: Counterfeit and uh, copied pharmaceuticals was much more lucrative than heroin, cocaine and the rest of it.
1: If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Listen to the no good, terribly kind, wonderful lives and tragic deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway, and this is The Current Podcast.
2: The country as a whole has opted for the Progressive Conservative Party. So sweeping is this expression of confidence that I am genuinely torn between two feelings. First, a deep sense of gratitude towards the Canadian electorate, and secondly, the recognition of the enormous responsibility. Our economy, as well as our environment, is being damaged daily by acid rain. Your presence here today, Mr. Mandela, is a tribute to the unbreakable spirit of man. And all Canadians join me in welcoming you warmly to Canada. As Canadians with our relatively small population dispersed over a vast land, it always means that we have been critically dependent upon trade. And we have benefited greatly from its bounty. That's why the North American Free Trade Agreement is in our long-term best interests. Meal and I really plan to leave then, after Meech Lake. Thinking that it was the time, probably, to turn it over to different people, when Meach was not ratified, we did what we had to do, and uh, today was the right time.
3: Prime Minister Brian Mulroney left his mark on Canada: the GST, free trade, scrapping the National Energy Program, the Acid Rain Treaty, his fight against South African apartheid, among other things. Brian Mulroney. Died yesterday, as you've been hearing in the news. David Crombie ran against Brian Mulrooney for the Progressive Conservative leadership in 1983, then served in his cabinet for four years starting in 1984. Perrin Beattie was a cabinet minister under Brian Mulrooney, served as his Minister of Health and Welfare, of Communications, and the Minister of National Defense, among other positions. They both join us now to remember Brian Mulrooney. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Perrin Beattie, I'll start with you just briefly. Um, what are you thinking about this morning as you look back on, on Brian Mulroney's life? It's an
0: incredibly poignant time. Uh, we all knew that Brian's health wasn't good, but it's still a tremendous shock. When when somebody has been such a dominant figure in our national life in the country, you tend to think they will go on forever, and you just don't accept that at some point you're going to lose them. It It has just been a flood of memories, and it's helped me to understand or to, to recognize again how consequential a prime minister he was and and how transformative he was for Canada.
3: Mm. I'll ask about that transformation. David Crombie, for you, what are you thinking about this morning?
0: Well, I I was thinking perhaps in a
1: a smaller way, um, Brian Mulroney kept in touch.
3: He kept in touch with
1: people individually. He kept in touch with large groups of people. He kept in touch with ideas that he wanted to pursue. And I was always impressed with the fact that whatever else was happening, Brian was on to his game. And he was on to his game it, it, it certainly uh, it, for his own purposes but for the country's purposes and I, over the years i knew him and worked with him i was always impressed with the fact that he stayed in touch and he stayed in touch with himself as well
3: you ran against him for the leadership um, he ended up winning that and won a landslide majority in 1984 the largest number of seats in this country's history what do you think made him attractive to voters david
1: well, he, he, first of all, he spoke well. I mean, he, he could hear him. He had a wonderful, deep, melodious voice. And 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 set, one, two, he understood cadence in the speech. And so that gave people a way in which they could understand what he was saying, no matter what, what else they had in their mind. And I think at the same time as well, he was ushering in a, 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 a new sense of where we could go if we just put our minds to it. And so people had a lot of confidence.
0: And what he could do with his
3: government. Perrin Beatty, that speaks to that transformation. If you look internationally, how did he see Canada's place in the world?
0: He recognized the fact that that we, that our future really was on the global stage. And that if you look at us in terms of the size of our population or of our GDP, we're not a major player. So that we had to build relationships, first of all, with, with other key players and secondly, what we had to do was to come with solutions instead of with problems, that we had to be truly visionary and that Canada had to be part of, of resolving these issues. So when you saw a meeting in those days of the of the G7 or the G8, there was a sense that that issues were going to be resolved. Today, so often when you have international gatherings like that, there's a sense that the problems are bigger than the leaders. This was Mitterand. it was uh, Cole, it was Reagan, it was Thatcher. These were people of great consequence, and the world changed as a result for the better.
3: What do you think drove his conviction that Canada needed a free trade agreement with the United States in that, in that context of what you've just said? What, what's very interesting here is, of course, he wasn't in favor of a free trade agreement with the
0: United States at the time he ran for the leadership. Yeah. He was persuaded by Donald McDonald's uh, Commission on Canada's Economic Prospects And when he became persuaded, he he felt that this was something that would be transformational to Canada and would allow us to move to a new level of prosperity. And as a result then, the, the 1988 election was probably the last federal election that we've had that really turned on two profoundly different visions of the country. And ultimately, Canadians opted for his, and since that time... It's been vindicated. You don't find politicians today saying that we should be abrogating our, our trade agreements with the United States.
3: David Crombie, in the introduction, I mentioned um, his commitment to fighting apartheid in in South Africa. Nelson Mandela talked about how that country never forgot that commitment, never forgot what what Brian Mulroney did in the face of, of perhaps opposition from some of his closest friends. Why did he take on that cause so strongly, do you think? He-
1: he really believed it. He, uh, it, it. That may sound corny, but he believed very strongly in the issue of apartheid or dealing with the issue of apartheid. I think it came from. He was a very young man. He was involved with the with the with the federal government in and the John Baker era. In John Diefenbaker's era, it was Diefenbaker and Canada who took the lead in the anti-apartheid movement at the time. And I think Brian carried that with him um, throughout. <clears throat> so he strongly believed that, and wherever he went. He he knew he was making enemies. He knew he was going to hurt people who could be helpful to him. But on the other hand, he knew he was on the right course and he stuck with it.
3: Part of that transformation that you spoke about, Perenvidi, was here in Canada as well. He was passionate about bringing Quebec into the Constitution, leading those negotiations for both the Meech Lake Accord and the Charlottetown Accords. In this, in the face of failure of of those accords, how do you think he changed Quebec's relationship with the rest of the country? Because in many ways, it's a distinct society beyond definition. Yeah, Matt, can I come back to
0: that in just a minute? Yeah, what, what I'd like what I would like to do is just add a, a story that probably people haven't heard about mm-hmm. apartheid and and that Nelson Mandela. Um, I was privileged to be part of, I think there were about a half dozen Canadians and a half dozen members of, of Ronald Reagan's cabinet. And Reagan was scheduled one day to give an address to the Canadian Parliament. We had lunch in the dining room at 24 Sussex. The conversation, it was very clear there was a very warm relationship between uh, between Reagan and, and Brian Mulroney. conversation was very wide ranging, but at one point it came to the question of South Africa. Uh, Mrs. Thatcher was utterly opposed to Canada's position, and Ronald Reagan was very skeptical about Nelson Mandela. Brian Mulroney turned to Ronald Reagan, and he said to him, Ron, these people are Nazis. They're on their way out. The United States has to be on the right side of history. You could only say that to a friend who trusted you and that and, uh, that there was that sort, of, that sort of relationship. There was no offense taken by, by Reagan, but it was an example of Brian Mulroney's commitment and mm. the forthright relationship that he had with, with other leaders. And it had a real consequence. It, it, it had very real consequences. Mm. And ultimately, uh, you know, I was foreign minister at the time that, that we were able to lift the Commonwealth sanctions on South Africa. And there was a sense that human history had moved ahead in a positive way. I'm sorry, you'd also asked me about,
3: uh, about... There's a great story. You're, you're more than welcome to divert to that story. I just wondered about the Quebec issue and, and how he changed Quebec's relationship with Canada as well, because it wasn't just internationally that his eyes were focused on.
0: Yeah, he was he was so deeply committed to bringing Quebec into the Constitution. He felt that Quebec had been betrayed when everybody else had signed the Constitution but not Quebec, and that, that the effort had, had not been sufficiently made to, to accommodate the legitimate concerns of Quebec. He was crushed uh, when the Meech Lake Accord was defeated in the Charlottetown Accord. And I remember him saying there will come a day when when we as Canadians will feel that this would have been a very small price to pay for having national harmony. Um, it was that sort of a, a personal commitment. He was a Quebecer himself. He was proud to be a Quebecer. And he wanted all Quebecers to be proud to be Canadian.
3: It was interesting in, in, in the hours after his death was announced, the number of people from across the political spectrum who spoke up some people who he had fallen out with Lucien Bouchard speaking on uh, Roger Canada yesterday, talking about him very favorably. What does that tell you, David? It's it, you don't want to say too much about it being a different time in politics, but it did feel like a different time in politics compared to, to what we hear and see now.
1: No, I think it was a different time in politics. And I think Brian under, Felt what understood that wore those clothes. He he reached across many many chasms, many many divides within the within the country and within the political life of the country. And so you're right that the 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 in those days one could more easily reach across the aisle. And Brian did that whenever he needed to do so. Uh, And he could that those bridges were ideological or geographic. uh, That's why he understood Canada that it, requi- it required that Canada be as flexible but as firm, interestingly enough, at the same time as it tried to hold things together. And Perrin's point and story tells you
3: that. Perrin, how should we remember that? That, that, that idea that in a different time in politics, people, there's that idea of disagreeing without being disagreeable? That's,
0: that's the critical thing. It's something that we've lost since then. We have to be able, once again, to differentiate between an opponent and an enemy. And to accept that somebody can be wrong without being evil, and to maintain a dialogue of, of civility. The, the other thing is, is the human aspect of Brian Mulroney, and, and David was really uh, really alluding to that. This was somebody you get the call from when you were at your lowest point. Um, the relationship that he forged with uh, with Robert Bourassa was because he reached out to him after Bourassa had left, left office and before he came back in. And often you would get calls from him. I would, uh, I remember getting calls in the weekend. I was sitting at home watching El We Oast at Saturday night at the movies <laughs> and the phone rang and he it said, it's Brian, I'm just calling. And Mila said she saw you in the house this week and you were great. And I said, well, you know, gosh, prime minister, thanks, but it, it this is Saturday night and you really didn't need to, to call me. He said, well, I thought it was important. And so it, people, there was this constant outreach and this constant empathy and the constant sense of uh, that he was somebody who genuinely cared about others. And that resulted in, in caucus, mm-hmm. as, as David will tell you as well, that even when we were at our lowest in terms of public opinion polls, members of caucus would have crawled over broken glass for him because he was the best possible
3: manager of people that I've ever met. I'm glad to talk to you both about his legacy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. David Crombie ran against Brian Mulrooney for the progressive conservative leadership in 1983, he served in his cabinet for four years starting in 1984. Perrin Beatty was a cabinet minister under Brian Mulrooney in a number of portfolios, including health and welfare, communications and minister of national defense.
0: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As CBC's former chief correspondent, Peter Mansbridge covered Brian Mulrooney for several decades. Peter, good morning to you. Morning, man. How do you think Brian Mulrooney changed this country?
4: Well, he changed it in some big ways. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about how politicians can impact their country when they're in leadership roles. And most of the time we say, you know, that such and such a person or such and such prime minister doesn't have any big ideas. They're kind of small ideas. Well, Rooney had big ideas. Uh, you talked about some of them with uh, David and Perrin just there, whether it was, you know, free trade, whether it was the GST, whether it was his attempts at various things on the Constitution, whether it's what he did on the international stage those were big ideas they didn't all work uh, and he carried some flaws with him uh, that he paid a political price for for trying them but he tried them and uh, you know that was what separates leaders from other leaders this was a guy with Big ideas, and he ensured he had the loyalty all along the way. That story Perrin tells about trying to, trying to watch El Wioso on a Saturday night and getting a call from Mulroney. I bet you every one of the conservative MPs in that caucus could tell you the same kind of story about their moment when Mulroney called them. He ensured he had caucus loyalty, and he got it by doing things like that.
3: How do you see it? The, the, the question of, of what he tried to do in terms of national unity, bringing the country together? But in some ways, the, the after effect of that was a split in his party and, and the rise of uh, the alliance and, and others. How do you see what he tried to do when it came to Quebec's place in Canada? Well,
4: it, it did cause a split, obviously, with the, the bloc and, the, and, and Lucien Bouchard leaving. It also caused a, spot in, a split in the Conservative Party and the birth of the Reform Party um and you know those were difficult moments but you know trying to do big things can come at some price they don't always work and that was one that didn't work for him uh in terms of uh, of Quebec's future uh we went through some extremely difficult tense times uh during that period as we had with Pierre Trudeau in the decades before uh that led to the first referendum um that feeling uh, about Quebec and its relationship and its place inside Canada um, hasn't changed for half a century or more, um, and I'm, I'm not sure it's going to change. No matter no matter what we try to do, uh, it, it, it's kind of part of the Canadian fabric. Uh, those differences in terms of the, um, the place in Canada, it's in some ways. You know, I I spent ten years in the west before I m- moved to the east. Mm-hmm. That's some of those similar kind of feelings uh, in the West, and they crop up every once in a while. They're back up again now. Uh, You know, as I said, it's part of the fabric of the nation. We're a diverse country. We have a lot of uh, situations, whether it's diversity around geography or um, big issues, resources, language, culture. Uh, That's part
3: of us. He left office with the lowest approval rating ever of a Canadian prime minister, which is remarkable given what he came in with and that that enormous majority. What is it that you think made Canadians change their mind about him?
4: Well, some of those big issues. The GST, for example? GST. Um, You know, the polarization that caused you, we talk about polarization today, Matt. It's very different. A polarization in the late 80s and early 90s, was around big issues. It wasn't the personal bitter stuff that, that, that occupies uh, our, our, our time and our our coverage these days. Then it was around big issues. Some of them worked and worked extremely well for Mulroney and the country. Uh, free trade was one of them. You can you know argue about how you may feel about free trade, but successive governments have continued it on same with the GST successive governments had benefited from the GST what hasn't worked well you know we 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 just discussed it in terms of, of the Constitution on the international stage there was no doubting I don't think by Canadians that we were on the right side of history but I don't think Mulroney gets the credit he deserves on the South Africa issue, you know, Perrin and, and, and David talked about it. I, I witnessed it up front and close at hand. I was in South Africa with Mulroney when, when uh, Mandela passed. And he's revered as a hero there because there's, there's little doubt in a lot of people's minds that, um, you know, Mandela may have spent the rest of his life in jail. If it hadn't been for Brian Mulroney, apartheid may have lasted much longer than it did. If it hadn't been for Mulrooney. he pushed Two of the strongest leaders in the world in terms of their positions, Thatcher and Reagan, to come around on that issue. That was no small feat. Um, and, you know, for, for all his flaws, and he had them. The books have been written about them. No books. books have been written about them, absolutely. Uh, and, and justifiably so. But, uh, you know, on some issues and on the international stage, that one and acid rain, as you mentioned, those were huge deals. And uh, you know he he should get full credit for his management of them.
3: Just in the last minute or so that we have, how will you remember him? People talk about getting the call, and I don't know whether you got the call if you're watching Elway Yost or getting the call sitting at your desk. But how will you remember him as as not a politician, but as a person that you knew?
4: I had a few calls from him, Matt, over the, over the years. Some of them he was blistering mad about something we may have done, and you know, in, in coverage, and we'd argue about you know. Uh, what had happened and why we'd done what we did. I'd stand by my position. He'd stand by his position. Uh, but then he, he, then he was the, the, the gentle, kind Mulroney who never forgot certain things. You know, I, you know, I remember my, you know, my, uh, my son was at U of T in political science. Mm-hmm. He wrote a paper on free trade. And somehow that paper got in the hands of Brian Mulrooney, who then wrote a lengthy letter. This is like, you know, just a couple of years ago long after he'd been in political life, he wasn't doing it to suck up to anybody. Mm. He actually wrote and engaged on the topic of free trade. And my, my son pulled it out last night and said, dad, you remember this, you know, and he read the letter. It was amazing, but that's the kind of thing he did for a lot of different people. Um, He didn't forget uh, friends or foes. Mm. Christian coming out last night and saying what he said that, you know, I kind of gasped at that. They were, they were fighters. Uh, and there he was, less than an hour after the news came out, standing talking about how foes can be can be friends, too, and, uh, and have a respect for each other. We could all learn from that.
3: Peter, thank you very much for this. Matt, take care. And you, Peter Mansbridge, the CBC's former chief correspondent for CBC News, and now the host of The Bridge. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.